0: It's come back to that quiet moment with the Lord again, where he has told me over and over again, like if this is my work, then you can trust me to bring in the right people and to take care of Bloom the way it needs to be taken care of. If this is your work, don't delegate, continue to hold it all really closely and, and run the business. But if, if you truly believe Aaron, this is what I'm doing, then you'll trust me as you delegate tasks to other people
1: Starting from the seed germinated on the mission field, Erin Jensen planted Bloom Dance Studio in Omaha in 2016. Erin's faith is the core of her leadership and is evidenced in the unique culture of the Bloom environment. Seven years and three locations later, God has used Aaron to grow Bloom to 40 staff members to inspire 1,500 dancers to confidently, creatively, and courageously impact
2: the world. Well, Aaron, welcome to the How He's Building This podcast.
1: Thank you for
0: having me.
2: (laughs) Just so you know, like, you're the first guest that I've had on. That I don't know. <laughs> like I've, I've, okay. had, I've had no no connection with you really before today. Yeah. I mean, like I'll get into the story in a moment. A brief interaction for about thirty seconds prior to today. But everyone else, I've I've had far more of a substantial connection relationship with. I knew there. Their leadership push and capacity, and their heart for Jesus, and all that stuff. And this is somewhat by faith, but I'm confident that it's. I'm confident that you're the type of person I want to have a conversation with. So oh, I'm I not concerned. That. Yeah, yeah. Backstory for those who are listening: My granddaughter Ruby is. Uh, you You run a a dance studio, right? Correct. Dance Academy. What's the, what's the official?
0: Dance studio is, okay. the, correct, is okay. the correct way to say it. Dance that.
2: studio, Bloom. Yes. And uh, my granddaughter is in her first year of experience with your organization, ministry. What do you call it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would call it a, a, a dance program.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, so you ministered to it, even if it's not a ministry, it's probably a business, yeah. probably structured as a business, I would, I would assume, but.
0: That's right. Yeah. Right
2: but it's a ministry.
0: That's exactly right. (laughs)
2: Yeah. They're in Omaha. I'm in Lincoln. Didn't know a whole lot about Bloom. Just heard a little bit of peripheral stuff. So I go to the recital and it's in this beautiful facility. (laughs) Like I go in this auditorium and seats, theater seats, a stage, lights, camera, big screens and a big four forum for you into the studio. And then I watch all these performances for the next hour and clarity of mission and and vision that gets beautifully communicated. And I'm like, how did all this happen? (laughs) Like, where did this come from? (laughs) That's
0: a great question. (laughs) and
2: And I hear that there's three, this is your third studio. I'm assuming this was the biggest one that I was in or no? Correct, facility. Yeah. Yeah. So facilities, this is your third and the, and you went to town on this one.
0: We <laughs> did. Really, we put was... all of our blood, sweat and tears yes. in this
2: one. <laughs> Yeah. And again, I knew it was a Christ centered business. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I want to meet this girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, want a, I want to have a conversation and hear how God built this uh, gotcha. through through her. So anyway, that's kind of the backstory. I'm excited to, to learn. I don't know what I'm about to learn about you and about your journey and kind of how God put this in your heart and how it's developed over time. Before we get into some of the specifics, I guess, first of all, how he's built this is about, this is a podcast, two leaders, Hosted by a leader about leadership and specifically Christ-centered leadership. I want to ask you, first of all, do you consider yourself a leader? Is that in your psyche, and your brain? Do you go, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in all humility, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a leader. Yeah.
0: You know what? I would say that I'm finally come to grips with that. It's, <laughs> it's taken a while, but I think now... um Mostly just because when you come to grips with that, you realize there's some things you just have to step up. you have to Annie up, you have to mature up, and I knew that that's what God was calling me to. So to just say, "Yeah, that's right, I'm a leader means I have to do all those other things.
2: <laughs> I could yes. be one. If I say <laughs> I I'm a know. leader, yeah. I could be a leader. <laughs> all right. Bloom's been around for how many years now?:
0: So we just completed our seventh year.
2: Okay. So going into Bloom, did you have this grandiose vision of this three studio, hundreds and hundreds of students, you know, large facility? Was that in your brain? Did no, you go, Hey, I'm a leader. I'm an entrepreneur. And we're going to start this business and it's going to be amazing.
0: No, I don't even think I've realized that business and, and being an entrepreneur and those passions were in me mm. until I started to step into some of this. And mm. then I started to discover, oh, wow, this is who I am. This I like is who this. I've always been. Yes. And I guess I really kind of enjoy this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. I'm going to ask a, a wrong question that I should not yeah. ask you, but how old are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. No, you're fine. I'm yes. 43.
2: All right. So, which again, I, I, the only reason I asked that is, so, so you were how old when you started bloom
0: so okay so we're going just finished our seventh year i guess i was, was about
2: 36, 36 35 yeah. 36 yeah. yeah so i mean so it's kind of interesting to think about that you could have this because again it was as i sat there and watched, as i've kind of done a little research since i go it's just impressive i mean you got be the glory uh but it's impressive i'm going so for 36 years you had this in you yeah. <laughs> but yeah. had this capacity to lead something like this, but you didn't. So, but as you, so look back before Bloom. any ways that you saw God use you to lead in a situation where you feel like, man, I I look back at that, and I didn't call it that at the time, but I actually was leading in that situation. Anything like that?
0: Probably looking back, I see a little bit of that. I was actually just reading over some of the notes of the things you and I were going to talk about with my daughter in the car, running from one location to another, (laughs) just saying, review this with me. And I I was telling her, I just said, you know, for me, it's honestly just been one yes from the beginning. Mm. Um, One yes to the Lord that's just led to the next step and the next step and the next step. And I was saying, I feel like the way the Lord works is that he, he sees how you do with that one small yes. And then Mm -hmm. he kind of makes it a little bigger and a little bigger. So I really feel like the position that I'm in now is just kind of a culmination of a lot of little yeses that have just gotten bigger. Um, So I suppose if I look back, I'm sure there'd be some times where I'd be like, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, I was like, I was on my dance team at high school and I was the captain of that team. So there were probably small little things throughout my life where some one must have saw some potential, but I definitely didn't ever feel that way until maybe more recently.
2: And I said that to lead into this question, but that mm-hmm. very much was my similar story. Like I tell, I founded my bridge, and it's now grown to what it is. like, My bridge wasn't some grandiose vision that I had either, <laughs> that yeah. I knew exactly where it was supposed to go. And one of the things I love about your story and mine is, again, because this is about how he, not how yeah. we, Amen. but how he built this. And a lot of times when you, when you hear about leadership, it is leaders have vision and leaders have this and leaders have all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not saying that's not but there's nothing to that. But like, that's not been my story. My my yeah. story has been when I, I call myself the first follower, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so I like that. It, it's not been, I've been leader in the sense that I've just followed, sought to follow God and those promptings and things he opened up in front of me. And anyway, this isn't about me, it's about you. So
0: no, but that's, <laughs> it's very similar. So it's yeah. encouraging to hear that stuff because you realize it's, right. it's really probably just the flavor of God and a lot less you or I.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is cool. Now, he wired us certain ways, right? True. They were latent in both of us, yeah. you know, they were latent for a number of years, but at the right time when he was wanting to usher forth something new, he led us step, like you said, step by step into it and drew out of us that which he had put in us. But uh, so I love that you talk about it's a little yeses that grew to bigger yeses. So talk about that a little bit.
0: The beginning is honestly saying yes to making the Lord the most important mm you know, choosing to basically step off of Aaron's going to run her life and Aaron's going to call the shots for her life. And Mm. I'm I'm saying yes to the Lord. Mm. I grew up in church. um, So I had some concept, especially under the Murdoch family. They are like so good at making it very clear what it looks like to actually choose and follow the Lord. So I had that understanding, but my first yes was just saying yes to him. Mm. Um, My mom was a single parent, still had a lot of involvement with my dad, but my mom raised us, myself and my um, two other siblings, younger siblings. And she was very involved in church. And she said, my eighth grade year, last year of junior high, Erin, you're going to this retreat. And I said, oh, I'm I'm not going to your church retreat, mom. Like, that's not for me. And she said, well, you know, you, you do live in my home, you will be going. <laughs> so she packed my suitcase. She said, oh, you'll be going basically forced me to go against my will. Mm. Um, And I went and Ty Schenzel, who I'm sure you've been around long enough, You know Ty well. Um Ty was running our youth group at the time, Mm -hmm. and Ty was running that particular retreat. And I just remember he shared and the Lord showed up. And I just knew that it was a moment of a decision for me to make. So I said yes to the Lord in that moment. And even though I was only in eighth grade, and you know, we think of eighth graders as such young people, it was the difference of night and day for me. Mm -hmm. My life changed overnight. The next day I even, you know, wrote out letters to a lot of the friends I had spent been, been spending time with just saying everything in my life is gonna change now. Wow. So if, you know, I just want you to know that going forward. Up to that point, I'd been very involved in dance. And had taken a lot of dance classes, and even thought maybe someday I would own a dance studio. Mm. But when I gave my life to the Lord, my second yes was actually, and I know this is different for many believers, but my second yes was to being filled with the Holy Spirit, which wasn't even anything I had a whole lot of concept for. But someone that was there at the retreat, Jeff Saxon, who was Ty's assistant, was basically like, Aaron, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I was like, Sure. Why, why not? So they prayed for me and I knew immediately as they were praying for me that the Lord was, was calling me into missions Hmm. and that that would be what I would be doing with my life. And so even as a eighth grader, I just knew I had said yes to God. I had said yes to his Holy spirit and that there was a direction my life was going in. So basically from there, I pers—I knew I was going to pursue nursing and kind of headed in that direction. I met my husband shortly afterwards and we were high school sweethearts dated all throughout high school. Mm. The third yes, I guess, was time to go overseas and start prepping for some of that. So it was just these little, you know, I'm sure you can relate one, one small yes after mm. a, another that yeah. gets you to so, not a o- I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so overseas was not a little yes, overseas yeah. was, good. was, that was a pretty good, good size yes
0: it was a pretty good size yes. yeah
2: so you got married out of college
0: I got married out of high school I was oh, 19-
2: high school wow
0: I know my mom was pretty gutsy she said as <laughs> long as my daughter finishes college I'll let you marry her <laughs> so but we had been dating for about five years at that yeah. point and I it just makes sense for our story. I so Ken and I, he was also a yes. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the person God had for me. Uh, we both had a passion for missions and really living a life that was just going to follow where God led versus, mm-hmm. you know, the white picket fits and a comfortable life.
2: You know, so we're talking about yes and God's leadership in your life, how do you get a sense of that? How How does God... Yeah. What's your sense of how God leads you? That's a pretty subjective thing, right?
0: It is very subjective. You know, my husband and I have had a lot of discussion about this and the way he's described it, which I really, really like, is that God provides these opportunities and you say yes to the opportunity. And pretty soon that opportunity leaves to an invitation that is even something bigger than just an opportunity. It's like, God's truly inviting you into something. And then from that invitation, you start to realize like, this isn't actually just an invitation. This is my calling. Like, this Mm -hmm. is what I am meant to do. And then he would say from there, you're, you're kind of living your destiny. So For me, those promptings are, they start as opportunities. And I've had many times in my life where I've thought the opportunity was God and it wasn't necessarily. Uh So it's a lot of risk-taking. It's a lot of um, trial and error. It's a lot of waiting on the Lord and not just um, reacting, but really, you know, getting some time with the Lord to say, "I I think you're in this opportunity, but I can't quite tell. And waiting for him to confirm it, whether that's through friends, or scripture. That's kind of no, how it's good. worked for me. I love it.
2: Yeah, one of the things I always say too is uh, the last, the final confirmation is that it happens.
0: Yes, I <laughs> like that. because
2: <You> know? <laughs> God's will always happens. And part of the way that came out for me was there would be people that that I was walking with spiritually. They thought God wanted them to to go in a particular direction, and then it closed, and then they got mad at God. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, like if it was God, it would have happened. right. But so I understand that you thought it was God, but you're yeah. wrong because God's still always really happens. good
0: reminder. Yeah. yeah. So if it, it didn't me. happen, it probably wasn't God. So no. it's all good then. <laughs> yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you for letting me interrupt your story there for a moment.
0: Yeah, no. So great.
2: let's go back. So now you're talking about transition to the mission field.
0: Yeah. So Ken and I are married. Uh, we're brand new, you know, brand new newlyweds. And we decide to go spend six months after we were married. We went and spent six months in Peshawar, Pakistan. Mm. And um, we worked with some friends that were there that were serving as missionaries, and just lived in their home. My husband worked at the school with with the husband that was working there. I did some stuff in the medical clinic with the doctor that was the wife and, and really kind of just learned from them, learned from how they did things, learned from how they raised a family overseas. And it was a really good... Um, just like formative time of us figuring out how we would long-term do missions and also helped us figure out what we wanted to go home and really finish in our college studies because both of us were still kind of you know i was only 19 i was just getting started so yeah so that was the the first year of our marriage 6 months of that was spent in peshawar pakistan wow. i had never been there before my husband had been there before it was pretty crazy to show up you know as a young blonde haired girl in a muslim country that i'd mm. never been to had no context for what i was getting into but kind of like what we just said it was a it was an opportunity and we were like well let's see if god's in it and Pretty soon. I'm walking around in Peshawar, Pakistan. Um, but I think what that six months did for Ken and I is it made us like so early on in our marriage. It allowed us to take a risk together that we were like, this is kind of how we want to live our lives. Mm. And then it also allowed us to see that, like, you can have a family and do some of these big risk taking things you don't have to wait until you know all of your kids are out of the house to do it mm. you don't have to um you know have all your ducks in a row so our thought was like let's go home finish college and then come back overseas and and have a family once we once we get back
2: mm, it right, right. right. didn't
0: exactly work quite right. like that yeah. but that was it- the takeaway
2: You know, one of the things that uh, I remember, uh, Pastor Tommy Nelson from Denton Bible Church, I used to listen to him all the time, and he used to talk about how, you know, young gals, young guys fire for for Jesus, and then they get married, and he calls it the monkey, the gorilla of responsibility jumps on their back. and all of a sudden they stop running the race like with the intensity that they did before and and so yeah that's that's so awesome to hear that like no it doesn't have to get that monkey off your back and get it can, off your you back you can you can run
0: i agree and you know how much better to run with like a partner and yes. then run with you know little people chasing around with you that are like learning what it looks like to like truly hear the lord and follow after what mm. he's doing
2: yeah all right so let's jump ahead a little bit so you go to college finish your degrees Mm-hmm. And then you go to the mission field?
0: Correct. So so we came back after those six months, came back, and we're pretty focused on the fact that I wanted to get my nursing degree. I got my BSN in nursing with a focus on labor and delivery. And my husband got his degree in education and then also his master's degree. And um, we had a couple of kids while we were doing that, a little sooner than we were thinking, but we just... They started coming. So we had kids.
2: (laughs) We said yes.
0: Um, We said yes. So um, I had my first when I was 21.
2: Mm.
0: And yeah, we finished school. And then we had had three kids. We saw an opportunity came for us to go to Kabul, Afghanistan. And we always thought, you know, at this point, we had finished our degrees, but we had quite a bit of college debt. And again, that gorilla is kind of on my back, like you just (laughs) described. I love that. And Ken and I are thinking, well, we've got to pay off our student loans. We've got to become professionals in our career. So we're going to do all these things and then we'll be ready to go overseas. But this opportunity came where um, there was a school in Kabul, Afghanistan that was being funded in part by a USAID grant. So it wasn't a missionary where you're on full support, but you're actually being paid to have a job there. So it seemed like the perfect opportunity for Ken and I to be able to still be professionals in the careers that we were working on and and be able to make some money while also, you know, not having to be completely on full support. hmm So we pursued the opportunity and it, everything just fell into place. And pretty soon in 2007, we were leaving with our five-year-old son, our two-year-old son, and our one-year-old daughter for Kabul, Afghanistan. Mm. And again, like, you know, if you know anything about the Murdoch family, they have always had a huge emphasis on the unreached people groups. So Ken and I grew up with the DNA of knowing what it meant to go after an unreached people group. And that Mm. was that was what we were passionate about. We were passionate about, you know, living in a tent on the dirt somewhere, learning the language. Not at all what ended up happening, but that's in our minds what we thought we were going to do. Right. Um, so we took all of our kids and we arrived at this school. One great thing about our story is I told my mom, Mom, My, you know, Ken and I are going to be going and taking your grandkids to Kabul, (laughs) Afghanistan. And she said, well, you're not going without me. (laughs) And so my mom and my stepdad, who had also, you know, grown up with that same DNA of missions and unreached people groups, decided to also sell all their belongings at the same time we did. And we went together. Wow. And I always tell people that That's amazing. I think it's the best way to do missions. You mm. do it. It's so much e- easier to have longevity when you're yes. like, let's go as a clan mm. versus going as just a you know tiny little family. So they worked with a different nonprofit. We didn't live together or anything, but they were 10 minutes away from us and that allowed my mom to really take care of my kids while mm. we were there so I could fully throw myself into ministry with them with my husband. How it started is the first year that we were there, I worked with Cure Hospital and I decided I would work as a nurse and I would go in and I would help teach these ladies how to deliver babies. And my husband was working at the school, but the environment in Kabul was just so dark and so heavy and so much need that in order to sustain myself there, I thought we're probably going to have to do something that keeps our spirits up. And so a tiny little dance studio was birthed out of that vision.
2: <laughs> huh. So so a dance studio there?
0: Dance studio there.
2: All right. So as you're there, you're doing some nursing, you're working your career, family's mm-hmm. there. And just for a sense of encouragement and hope and light and life, mm-hmm. yeah. tell me more. So, okay. <laughs> you got so me again, you got remember me when
0: I, yeah, because remember when I became a believer, I yeah. had kind of given up those passions for right. dance and shift it completely to being a nurse. Yeah. That was where all my attention went because I knew I was going to get an admission. So yeah, it was just- And it wasn't
2: something you kind of held back there and said, someday I'm going to bring it back up. And it was I gone. would have been
0: okay never touching it again. Mm. And out of left field, I would say, I was just like, I need to do something that is going to provide some level of hope, some level of joy. There is such a lack of joy in those very intense places where mm. you are literally living under a veil just to leave my home. So much oppression, so much darkness and heaviness that just the idea of doing something very lighthearted seemed like just a little side thing we could do. I started this dance program there. And this would have been my the end of my our first year there. Yeah. And I thought this will just be for the other missionary kids that are there. You know, we'll keep it really small and simple. Not a whole lot of vision for it. But I went home and someone very kindly heard the story and said, we want to donate a top of the line sport court and we want to ship it all the way to Afghanistan. So it was like all these things, um, all these little things kept happening that were making the dream much bigger than it was in my head.
2: So when you say you went, so like a furlough, you, when you say you went home, Mm -hmm. you came back to the States for a moment and people heard about it and they're like, let's go. Like we're in.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, we, we came back pretty much every summer. And when we came back and shared kind of what we were thinking, someone was like, oh, I'm excited about that. Like I want to contribute to that. So went back that second year thinking we would just run this little dance program. But honestly, for the remaining six years that I was in Afghanistan, that became my primary ministry. And by the time we left, it was over 150 kids, 12 different countries. We were bringing girls that had been in basically the sex trade industry that were living in a home, they would come into a class and they would take a dance class with us. And we were able to use movement and music as kind of a form of therapy for them. I just can't even begin to tell you how random it was that that ended up being the ministry that we did while we were there. My husband was still fully engaged in the educational aspect and helping run this school, which was a K through 12 American school, but primarily attended by Afghan children. And yeah, pretty crazy. So that was my part was the dance program and his was the education.
2: So uh, what was that transition like? I mean, you dove in into the whole nursing aspect of it. And yes, you've got this thing on the side, but what was that? Mm-hmm. And I think about, you. have you ever gone through experiencing God, Henry yes. Black of the right? So he yes. talks about that crisis, crisis of belief, right? So was there a crisis of belief moment in that space where you're like, am I really supposed to take that step and let go of this and grab hold of this?
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: How big of a jump was it?
0: Um, I think the jump was just, it, it doesn't make sense to your logical brain. When you have trained to do something, you've paid money to do something. Um, And, you know, quite honestly, I felt like a pretty good, confident labor and delivery nurse. And it felt foolish in a lot of ways that I was giving that up to pursue this hobby, as some would call it, that was turning into a bigger movement, but it was still dance. I mean, such a first world thing compared to life and death of delivering babies.
2: Did anybody challenge you? Parents? Um, Like, did anyone go, what are you doing? I don't
0: you know, the biggest challenge I had with what with the dance was actually other believers that were in the country that felt like it was way too a little too fluffy for for mission work they kind of felt like real mission work is in evangelism and and preaching the gospel and doing nursing work providing a service so it was kind of like you know this is kind of a cute little idea you've got going with this dance program but mm. this isn't legitimate ministry
2: so what did you see so they saw that from the outside obviously they didn't see it from the inside what did what yeah. were you seeing that you were like, Jesus is using this.
0: To be honest, for a while, I didn't see a whole lot of anything. I just knew that it was what I was supposed to be doing. Hmm. There was a lot of momentum with it. I felt the ability to impact these young girls, when they're in a situation where they're just so happy and enjoying life and really looking up to you, I I saw that there was such great opportunity for influence with those kids that to me, it, it made sense that the Lord was doing something maybe a little bit more unique than they could see from the outside. But I also saw their perspective where my husband and I thought we were coming to live in a tent and learn the language and do a little bit more of the traditional mission work versus start a dance program in Kabul, Afghanistan, could not have been crazier.
1: (laughs) There was a post on social media of a baby elephant who had fallen into a hole and no matter how hard he tried, he could not get out. His mother, refusing to leave him behind, worked strenuously for the longest time to pull, push and lift him from every direction until finally a breakthrough came and the baby was able to get out. Have you ever felt that way as a leader? Like, no matter what you try, you keep finding your team in the same place, stuck with the same issues over and over again? MyBridge Momentum exists to accelerate Nebraska Ministries by coming alongside leaders as they clarify their vision, execute their mission, and break through ceilings. Refuse to stay stuck. There's too much at stake. Go to mymomentum.builders. Your ministry is a vital part of God's kingdom purposes being accomplished in Nebraska. We want to see you thrive.
2: As I said at the beginning of our conversation, like I didn't know a whole lot about you, but there's a lot to know about you. (laughs) So um, we could go on and on and on. Let's a little briskly jump to how did this seed that was planted in a third world country (laughs) that began to blossom and bloom. Why'd you guys leave the field?
0: Yeah. So we left in 2014. That was when President Karzai was stepping out of office and there was going to be a a real huge shift of power in Afghanistan. And so there was a lot of speculation that security was going to start to plummet. And honestly, we tell people the grace just like lifted. We had such grace to be there for seven years, but as security started to deteriorate and the question was no longer like about education or about dance, but like, what are we going to do? You know, when and if terrorists storm in during these situations. And it just felt like that was no longer why God had had us there. So my husband just said, I I know it's time for us to go. And so we left sooner than I think we were wanting to, but also it ended up being just perfect timing because after we left, the country pretty much did collapse. That's why we left. And we left thinking we would go back to Asia. But when we got home, God just made it very clear that Omaha is where he wanted us. A friend of mine had said to me casually, "Aaron, why don't you start a dance studio here like you did in Afghanistan?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm really excited about getting back into labor and delivery." Um, There's 90 dance studios in Omaha. So many, you know, I don't I don't know anything about running a proper dance studio. I was living in Afghanistan where there was no competition. (laughs) So it didn't seem like a, a wise business choice by any means. And also, it didn't really grab at me. But I went home and shared that with my husband. And the next day he said to me, like, Aaron, I think there might be something there. Like, I think maybe we need to pray about that and think about that, talk about that. So essentially... It started with just an idea of like, well, God, if this is something you want us to do, you're going to have to open the doors and confirm that that's what you want me to do. I started talking to a few friends who had background in dance. And like you said, at the beginning, the idea started, there was no big master plan in my
2: head. Yeah. yeah one of the things that's interesting, again, as you're talking there, Aaron, is uh, I have this concept I tell people about. I said, you need to steward your thoughts, steward your conversations, because you don't know at the moment if it's a good idea a great idea, a God idea, or a garbage idea. Like you don't know in the moment.
0: That's really good.
2: Like, but so there's so many things that, uh, that along the way in my navigation of life and ministry that it was like that where, and I would have missed it if either somebody else like your husband, which I had someone else in my, in my life for certain pieces or, just the Holy Spirit prompting you and bringing it back around uh, as you were faithful to kind of keep it in front of you. Like you just don't know at the moment. So it was interesting that that first idea it ended up being this whole trajectory that God sent you on. That's yeah. doing some really cool things. Yeah. It, it wasn't like this. Oh, like moment no. when it was first spoken to you that, uh, you know, the angels <laughs> sang and
0: nope, nope, the light shone from above
2: <laughs> and you were like, yeah. So anyway, so that's really good. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah, it was just a, really a simple conversation that sparked an idea and, and we started to pray into it more. And 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 honestly, we didn't even pray into it that much. It was more just <laughs> kind of like, oh, that's a good idea. You know, let, let, let's just kind of move on and see what happens. And I Was able, I had the opportunity to start by renting from another studio owner. So I thought, okay, this is very safe. Like I don't have to put my name on a lease. My husband and I had sold everything to move overseas. So Mm. when we came back, we had nothing to our name. Like we had no cars, we had Mm. no house. We were really just like starting fresh again, which was kind of crazy because we were, we both had college degrees, we were professionals, (laughs) but we were starting all over again. Mm. (laughs) So we didn't want to take huge risks financially, that just wouldn't have been wise. But we started, you know, with this idea that we'll rent from another lady and see what kind of students maybe we gather. And if we get a good enough amount, maybe down the road, we'd get our own place. But one month after I opened registration, we already had over 100 kids that had registered. And so um, this lady just came to me and said, I'm so sorry, like, I wasn't prepared for this. You need to go find your own place. So we had a month where basically we searched for a location. That was where we found our first location location on 156th and Blondo. Mm. My husband and I renovated it with the help of friends and family. And I begged the landlord to give me a one-year lease because I said, most likely I won't survive. (laughs) Poor guy. He was very kind because I was just such a honest mess that I kept telling him, (laughs) it's probably not a good idea for you or me to do this. So let's just do it for a year. And he signed off for a year. It's crazy Stan, like every year from year one, we have literally doubled our numbers. Mm -hmm. So year two, we had about 250, Year three, we had about 500. Year four came and it was COVID. And God just miraculously took care of us. We didn't grow that year, but we were able to stay open. Mm. Um, We were able to keep kids moving and active. Mm. And that was a a story in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. The year after that, we grew to over a thousand kids. Now we are at just under 1,500. Wow. You know, become one of the largest dance studios in Omaha, which is just crazy. I, I honestly don't know how how it happened. It just happened.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So lay it out currently. mm -hmm. How many studios, how many, how many staff, how many students?
0: Yeah. So currently we have three locations, one 156 in Blondo, one out in the Elkhorn area. And then another right over by Oakview mall, which is where the auditorium is. Mm -hmm. So three locations, it's a total of four I have six, seven, eight studio spaces. So we can have eight classes happening at one time. Essentially. Mm. We have about 50 staff members now. Mm. Um, some of those are working full-time. Some of those um, instructors are working maybe one class a week. So it kind of ranges from a little all the way to those that are, this is their full-time employment. Mm. And like I said, about 1500 students and we're just
2: Seeing what's next. So what, as you're growing, I mean, there's a lot of growth that's happened. Mm -hmm. So you start going, okay, a second location, which brings on certain challenges, a third location, which brings on certain challenges, more students, more teachers, more classes, more space. Like, what were some of the things that you had to learn along the way as you were leading into that space?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely had to learn to trust my instincts, Mm -hmm. which are often the Holy Spirit. And I know that again, that's very subjective. That doesn't feel very easy when you're describing that to someone. But I do think when you get in the habit of starting to say yes to the Lord, you really do start to get a sense and momentum of like, what it looks like when the Lord is leading you in a direction. So there's even... Even times, like, for example, you were you were at one of our shows, we had some feedback from someone who was pretty unhappy with the end of our show and how we chose to do it and felt like that really bumped their personal beliefs that they had to sit in a show. And at the end, you know, we do a blessing over the audience and then we do a big production um, with a song with our seeds class, which is essentially a worship dance class. And I spent the first couple of days after the recital just taking that so hard, just like, you know, maybe I need to adjust things. I wouldn't ever want people to feel uncomfortable in my space or my environment. But then I just got some time with the Lord. And he was just like, Aaron, you're doing what I've asked you to do. Mm-hmm. And the fallout just simply isn't on you. For me, the the thing I've had to learn is how to just get back to that space of the Lord. Like, okay, I, I think I know what's going on. And then my logical brain will tell me how to adjust or how to maneuver. But when I get that, that instinct that tells me oh, this might not be what the Lord wants, just pulling myself away to be like, okay, what are you saying? What, what do you want me to do here? And it's just a lot of that.
2: I know that was one type of experience that you were talking about, uh, but but specifically that one in terms of the criticism that you received. Mm-hmm. I remember early in my leadership, I was on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm just trying to, to love God, serve God, and and impact kids. Yeah. And uh, boy, out of left field came this criticism, and I'm like, where did that come from? And what did I do to deserve that? And you know, but I read this book by Chuck Swindoll. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that yes, name. Absolutely. Uh, it was called Hand Me Another Brick. And it's probably not even in print anymore. I have no idea. It's, a, it's an old book. And it was on the study on the book of Nehemiah. And he had a chapter called, because it was all all about leadership. And one of the chapters was called On Criticism. And uh, he just normalized for me, because I'm like, because I'm sitting there, again, I'm a a young leader. Again, I wouldn't even call myself a leader at that point, necessarily. I was just doing what I was doing. But I'm a young leader leading out into the space. and. And uh, just, to, it was just so helpful just to go, you know, that's part of leadership. I always tell people clarity does two things and leaders bring clarity. We're going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're going to yeah. do it this way. We're not going to do it that way. Right. And clarity does two things. It, it unites and it divides. Oh, so good. <laughs> it, it does both. It does. And, and we've got to get comfortable with, we're excited when it unites, but we've got to uh, be willing to embrace the, the other side of that as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right so those those are the the things that i would say the transitions that have been difficult in the rapid growth and the rapid um expansion of now seeing myself as a leader because when i started this it was just me in this little tiny studio i was teaching the majority of the classes mm-hmm. i was vacuuming the floors at night i was i was doing pretty much all of the work right um, and then so quickly it changed to having a staff of people and having numerous parents and numerous kids to be responsible for and it it's it's exactly what you just said mm-hmm. realizing that to be a good leader it would have to be very clear how I would move forward and and learning that the fallout, one way or the other, doesn't rest on me.
2: Mm-hmm. That's cute. I'm not
0: good at it, but I'm <laughs> working on it.
2: <laughs> it's a lot of letting go then, right? As far, not, not on the criticism part, but just as yeah. far as you're growing, you were doing everything. Now you've got to entrust aspect of the organization to other people, AKA also known as delegate. Yeah. So yeah, talk about that journey. How, how hard or easy was that? Has that been for you?
0: Yeah, definitely not easy. Um, I think you know, most people that start something, I'm sure you can relate, you want to remain in control because not even because I consider myself a a controlling person, but because I care so deeply about Bloom. I care so much about my families that have chosen Bloom. You know, I will work 70 or 80 hours a week if I don't keep myself in check just because I, I care about what I do, not because I feel like I have to do it. And so, yeah, I think... I think it's been interesting figuring out how do you delegate things to someone when you're not totally sure that they're going to provide that same level of care. But for me, it's come back to that quiet moment with the Lord again, where he has told me over and over again, like, if this is my work, then you can trust me to bring the right people and to take care of Bloom the way it needs to be taken care of. If this is your work, don't delegate continue to hold it all really closely and and run the business. But if if you truly believe, Aaron, this is what I'm doing, then you'll trust me as you delegate tasks to other people. And so um, that's how I do it. I do it kind of like just holding my breath. (laughs) Okay, Lord, uh, you said it'd be okay. We'll see.
2: (laughs) Part of what I love about your story again, and i said this at the beginning, but uh, it kind of played out throughout the whole whole thing. I so resonate with your journey and your story uh, for my own as well, because... You take Jesus out of the equation, I don't see myself being a leader. Like, he's so entwined into how I lead and like his wisdom that he gives, his doors that he opens, his circumstances that he arranges, his all all the things, (laughs) you know. All yeah. the things. And that's why I hear in you. I hear that that your walk with Jesus is so intertwined with how you quote unquote lead. It truly is in being that first follower, right? Being being I able to like listen that. and hear and respond and follow. And that's cool.
0: It's good. It is. It's I, I agree with you. If you take Jesus out of it, I would just be Aaron, probably a great labor and delivery nurse. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, not not a lot of the leadership stuff that mm. I have learned by literally just following the Holy Spirit and I'm always asking for like a great partner to come alongside me and the Lord's always just reassured me he would be that partner mm-hmm. and he truly has been just guiding me through.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good. As you've, I, I've often thought about leadership in spiritual leadership, specifically in some ways like uh, I, th- I think about music artists, singers. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, there's this aspect of music ministry that's anointing of the Holy Spirit that secular music can't touch, in my opinion. But in executing that music, there are things that we you learn from someone who could be very secular in how to hit another octave, you know, how to protect your vocal cords so that you don't get nodules on them, that I mean, you're still under the same uh, laws of music and singing and notes and octaves and all the stuff that secular people are. And you can learn that from secular context. So I think about that with leadership as well, that there's this whole, you know, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and wisdom that he gives and doors that he opens and Things that he does supernaturally mm-hmm. uh, in in a leader submitted leader yielded leader, but then also, I mean, there is this craft of leadership. leadership. This, exactly that we can hone. Yeah, you know. So, what have you done in that space? Are, are there books that you've started mm-hmm. to kind of pushed into? And
0: yeah, I love to study business. I love to study leadership. So um, there are quite a few books that I've really loved. I would say actually, really studying Chick Fil A. Mm. And their leadership style and their approach um, to how they did business has been a huge influence on how I do Bloom, even just down to their mission of just like we want everyone that we interact with to feel an experience. Those are kind of some of the things that have Helped pave a way for me to be like, okay, like you said, there's the direction of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, but then there's just some very practical things that I feel like people have figured out how to do well. And what I like to do then is just study how they did that and take concepts from what they did and apply it to my own business. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been really good. It's been good to find businesses, find people who I really admire, and then just study kind of the the approaches they've used and apply
2: it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before I get to our uh, kind of speed round here at the end, there's been a lot of, you know, exciting things that we've talked about, high points and God moment, but I guess touch on the hard part of leadership Mm -hmm. and the sacrifice that has to be paid.
0: Probably just the constant pressure. Mm-hmm. is something, um, you know, there is a lot of freedom that that I have in the position I have as, as a leader of a, of a growing business. Um, I get to make a lot of my own choices as far as when I work and when I don't work. But there is also just this constant pressure. And I think for me, I've really grown as a leader when instead of trying to figure out how to get out of that pressure, I've just mm-hmm. embraced the fact that leadership Is pressure, Mm -hmm. and there's going to be continual pressure, and how I engage with that pressure and where who I am. In the midst of that pressure is actually the thing I can control. That has really, that's really been good. That's been helpful for me to just say, okay, I'm being pressed constantly. And then for me, because of the industry I work in, it involves people's children. So people have very passionate feelings when it comes to their children. And to be honest with you, I'm a mom. I have four kids, identify a lot with those feelings of we want to see our kids succeed, we want to see them do well, but it does provide opportunity for people to have a lot of criticism. And I don't get a lot of criticism, but there is some to be had that has been difficult or even just being in an industry where my studio has had such rapid growth, but I am a trained nurse. I'm not a trained dancer. I'm not a trained businesswoman. Um, So to be in this position, I oftentimes felt completely inadequate. And I know that's something leaders often say, but I legitimately am inadequate. (laughs) Those are just the hard moments where you're just so aware of how much you're falling short of what you would like, where you would like to be. And the pressure is weighing in on you and the schedule is relentless. And for me, learning to just say, that's what leadership is, there's mm. so many good aspects to it, but the, a good leader just embraces that this is leadership. And then what comes out of me is oftentimes much more impressive than it should be because it's, it's pretty messy what's going on internally.
2: <laughs> mm, that's good. So what's the best leadership advice you've ever received?
0: Okay. This is the first thing that just popped in my head. So you're tracking with me, Stan, because yep. you're <laughs> like me where we're like, we're just going to go we're yes. like, honestly, <laughs> honestly. It's kind of Jesusy again, but the thing, the thing is, is to tithe out of my profits. Mm. I'm sorry, to tithe out of my revenue. Mm. So we started year one tithing out of our revenue. So
2: your gross revenue.
0: My gross revenue. Mm. And I truly believe that is why we have had so much growth. Mm. The leadership principle right there, just being, I actually learned that from Chick-fil-A, but just that when you put the most important things at the forefront before anything else, I think that trickles down to everything else. My staff knows that's what I do, so my a lot of my staff is now making tithing a priority, mm. and they've seen the benefits of that in their own families. That's what popped out. Do I love you it. That no, out? I
2: love it. No, I love it. It's in. <laughs> awesome. So, what advice would you give to a young aspiring leader?
0: I would say three things. First, say yes. Say yes, fully embrace your yeses. Number two, I think just being willing to gut it out to know that in the beginning, it's gonna be actual sweat and grit That gets you to that next phase. Embrace the suck.
2: Embrace the suck.
0: suck. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. Because like I said, I feel like it starts out as like this little tiny yes. When you embrace the suck, it gets that yes gets bigger. So I would say say yes. Then I would say just work hard. And by work hard, you're embracing the sacrifice, like you talked Mm -hmm. about earlier. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is, is I think just recognizing what your people around you need and making sure that you're not doing what you think a good leader should do, but you're truly looking at what is is needed from the people around you and you're actually providing that. Mm. So really, really just being an intuitive leader.
2: Mm. Really good. What about a word of encouragement to a seasoned leader that have been in the mm. saddle for a while, paying the price and grinding?
0: Yeah, I think to me, those are the real heroes, mm. those that have continued to lead. And so my encouragement to them would just be that, There's those of us that think we can't make it to tomorrow, but then I look at people who have been leading for 25, 30 years, and it is encouragement to keep going. Mm -hmm. I would just say that your, your life and your leadership and what you're doing alone speaks for itself. And thank you for not quitting.
2: Mm, Amen. I love that. Okay. Quick speed round. Yep. One of your most impactful leadership books you've read
0: probably profit first. Mike? Yes. Michalowicz. Yep. That's he's, correct.
2: He's one of my new favorites. New, he's a good new, one. Newer, newer favorites. I've yeah. been reading for a couple of years now, but yeah. Yeah. So great,
0: a great concept.
2: I, have you read Clockwork?
0: I have. Love his Clockwork book. Yeah. Very good. Bet on Talent. That's another Chick-fil-A book, yeah. um, but love that one as well.
2: Yeah, that's good. Most impactful leader that has led you. So not one that you've read about or, but you've actually been under their leadership.
0: I feel again, like this is kind of cheesy, but I'd probably say my husband. He's literally just kind of led our family in such a way that it's been very practical applications of what leadership looks like. And I've applied those principles and how I've run my business and it's worked.
2: All right. Final one, most impactful productivity tool or hack?
0: Good. These are great questions. Probably say... Like we use a lot of Voxer within my organization, which is the app where you can talk back and forth to each other, Mm. but it allows, especially in this remote world, you know, you don't have to hop on a screen, but you can interact with each other. And I think oftentimes texting and email, you lose some of that tone, which can sometimes be difficult to figure out what was the tone here. Mm. So we've realized that interacting in a way where people can hear my tone and hear what I'm saying allows us to skip a lot lot faster to, oh, okay, this is what Aaron's actually saying, even though they could have read that in an email. So
2: yeah.
0: boxer.
2: Awesome. Love it. I'm going to check out that app.
0: <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Hey,
2: well, thank you so much for, thanks for doing what you do. Thank you yeah. for saying yes to Jesus. Thanks for impacting my granddaughter oh, and yeah, this year does. and for years yeah. to come. Yeah. Thank
0: and you. And they- I appreciate you, you know, just making this happen and appreciate all that you do.
1: Thanks for listening to how he's building this stories of the extraordinary work of God through ordinary leaders like you. We'll see you next time.